0: Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that's always on the lookout for the best opportunities in the property world. And at what you might call a challenging time for the sector, today we're taking a look at an area that's promising strong rental returns and continued
1: investor interest, purpose-built student accommodation. What we've seen with universities increase the number of people coming in, they haven't thought through how much supply they're going to need to house all these students. We're seeing
2: incredibly strong rental growth across the UK at the moment, the likes of 7% year on year. So we're seeing that obviously feed through into stronger values.
3: I think it's generally going to work in most locations. The big caveat is that you need to be pretty forensic about the quality of your higher education institution.
0: I'm Guy Ruddle and I'm delighted to have in the studio with me three people who know more than is healthy about the PBSA sector, purpose-built student accommodation sector. Let's start with James Hanmer. He's head of PBSA and co-living in Savile's Operational Capital Markets Division. No stranger to Real Estate Insights. James, lovely to see you again.
3: Good to see you, Guy. Morning and good to be with everybody
0: and Rachel Coates is head of UK student accommodation valuation in that same operational capital market seems your first time in the studio Rachel welcome to the podcast thanks guy thanks for having me and Richard Valentine Selzy is a director of residential research and head of European living research. Again, no stranger to Real Estate Insights. Richard, welcome back. Uh, great to be back, Guy. Right. So let's get going with this. We've we've talked a bit about purpose built student accommodation. It's in other podcasts quite a lot, it's nice to have a sort of a chance to focus on it properly. Um, let's start with the sort of the state of the market, if we can, Richard. Just to to go the sort of the usual supply and demand thing, on the demand side, in terms of sort of numbers of students and things like that, what's the picture look like?
1: So the UK is continuing to see increases in the number of students, both full-time and part-time. So if we look at the most recent data from HESA, the kind of Higher Education Statistics Agency, uh, we're seeing about 2.26 million people studying at UK institutions. Now, a lot of those are domestic students. We've seen quite strong growth amongst them. But we've also now got over 622,000 international undergraduate students studying in the UK. Now, that's an amazing statistic. And what we see is quite significant growth from both China continuing to be the most dominant sector from there, but we've seen very strong growth from both Nigeria and India over the last five years that really accelerated through and given a new impetus for the need for more accommodation to house all these students.
0: And if, you are, if you're sort of thinking of being in this world it's not going to be a a sort of dip in and dip out kind of investment uh, that you're going to make so presumably what you're you're particularly interested in what's happening with first year students because one gives you a picture of what's going forward but two they're the ones that tend to be in in this type of accommodation
1: right Yeah, definitely. And what we've seen, if you look at the UCAS stage for application numbers coming through, in 2022, 44% of English 18-year-olds applied to university. That's up from 33% back in 2012. So not only do we have a large wave of domestic people coming in, we've got internationals increasingly coming through as well. And if you look at the latest forecast from UCAS, we expect to see another million million people applied to first-year university by 2030. And that's putting significant pressure on the availability of supply. And so that's
0: the supply side. So I like this really basic economics because I can understand it. So let's that's the demand side. Let's look at that supply side. Um
1: where are we on that? So I think if anyone's been looking at the newspapers in the last six to nine months, they've probably seen the like the depth of the states we currently find ourselves in. So what we've seen with universities increasing the number of people coming in, they haven't thought through how much supply they're going to need to house all these students. And you take places like Bristol, Manchester, Durham, they've gone from either offering people money to stay at home to not come or having to house them in, in cities outside of their current location. So that's really highlighting the fact we don't have enough supply available at the moment to house these people alongside the PRS, not, not only the PBSA, but the private renter sector where a lot of students do live, has had less and less available supply with landlords leaving the market. Yeah. So that that would suggest,
0: that would paint a picture of, you know, a really great place for, for, for investors to be in automatically because you've got rising demand, tr- problems with supply, that's bound to be good if you can get into that market. So for you two, for James uh, uh, and Rachel, you know, in. In your part of the world, Rachel, perhaps you first in, on the valuation side. What's happening to to the, to what's existing and what the potential is? You know what, what what you know what people are saying about stuff that's yet to be built. I guess.
2: I guess what we're seeing, those, those demand and supply dynamics are, are really um, coming through in rents. Um, so from a valuation perspective, we're seeing incredibly strong rental growth uh, across the UK at the moment. Uh, the likes of Empiric and Unite are forecasting 7% uh, year on year, which is you know, well above what they would normally be forecasting around the 3 to 4%. Um, so we're seeing that obviously feed through into sort of stronger, stronger values. Um, to a certain extent, that's offsetting increased OPEX costs um, and a little bit of yield shift, obviously, as cost of debt is, is increasing.
0: Yeah, it's because we'll, we'll, we'll sort of get into the detail, perhaps, of the operational costs and, you know, capital costs of development and all that sort of stuff and, and debt as we go along. Um, from your point of view, James, you know, you're, you're, you're talking to the very people who are looking at or already invested in this, in this sector. What's the, what's the sentiment, overall sentiment of, of, of your clients and your, the types of people you're talking to at the moment?
3: Well, I think just picking up that point that Rach made um is clearly uh people very much like the sector because of rental growth. um It's not quite a hedge for inflation, but it's pretty close. so I think first and foremost, you know that's why people like the sector um, the the market though is still patchy. there are deals that have been done um we've probably seen about eight hundred mil over the last sort of six to nine months um there are a lot more waiting in the wings, and I think importantly there could be as much as five, uh, 5 billion, sorry, rather, due to close out um, outside the transactions we're already tracking.
0: Really? Yeah, that's quite a lot. It, are we talking about, in terms of overall amount of investment that goes into this market, you know, on an annual
3: basis, roughly where are we talking about? So last year we were just under 8 billion. Um, so that is the highest, I think, we've ever seen it in the space. Um, it's tracked previously as high as sort of 6, 6.5. So um, that was admittedly, off the back of one major portfolio trade, student roofs going through at about $3.4 billion. Um, But fundamentally, it is it is very much a sector that people want to be in.
0: So there you are. There's a, there's a, a, a picture that would say we could stop now, and anybody listening to this with a spare... You know hundred and fifty million quid or whatever would would rush out right now and and they they'd get into this market straight away. I'm guessing it's not as simple as that and there are a few challenges around as well so let's start looking at some of those challenges i mean the first is how easy is it to build new purpose built Student accommodation at the moment. You talked, you talked about the the, the st- stuff coming through, but is it is it difficult to to, to, to build new stuff?
3: I think there's a myriad of problems at the moment um, in terms of trying to get new stock out the ground. Like first and foremost, when you're trying to buy the land, there's competition for that from a variety of different sources. Um, but moving on to the, the key issue really is around construction costs, uh, which have increased dramatically over the last two years or so. Um, so you really need to be have a built value of about £130,000 per bed to make it uh, commercially viable. Um, and if you're delivering something that's potentially under that, you just can't make any profit out of it
0: yeah And um, Rachel, that you know, we've, we've talked to you on other podcasts uh, which you'll have heard that, uh, uh, about the, uh, the the sort of increasing build costs and all that sort of stuff. Do you get a sense that, that cost inflation is going to carry on or is it going to ease or, or, or what do you see in, as the future there?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's obviously been fairly strong for the last couple of years, I think sort of 10% um, increasing. But I think the, the sense is that it's going to tail off a little bit and return to sort of more normal levels of sort of 2 to 3% uh, year on year. So hopefully that challenge will will start to fade a little bit over the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, because, it, you know, that, that, that's, that's, as you say, James, one of the, the key areas of problem. What about actually getting permission to, to build this stuff?
1: Yes, I think what we've seen in the last couple of years is certain local authorities kind of tighten the screws on the regulation they need you to jump through to get planning consent for PBSA. So you've got Edinburgh, Glasgow, Nottingham, Manchester, all through different kind of degrees looking at, well, restricting the locations. You can bring forward new schemes to avoid, in quotes, oversupply or oversaturation in certain areas or rolling in the need to deliver affordable housing contributions, be that offsite contributions in terms of just cash up front or delivering actual residential affordable housing on your scheme, which makes it a little bit more challenging to make certain schemes work. And think it comes back to James's point, your construction costs and your viability, if everything's a little bit tight, you're paying a bit more, spending longer in planning, it's just going to become a little bit more difficult to get those schemes to come through.
0: This is a bit of a sort of left-field question, but on on that subject of, of you know, uh, uh, competing interests, is all this stuff, you know, where are all these purpose- these buildings... Are they dedicated only to, to, to student accommodation or can they be a mix of things? On our last episode of Real Estate Insights, when we were talking about the impacts you know, research program, the annual Savills Impact research program, one of the things we were talking about was getting better at social value planning and things like that and using buildings in a way which helps the community and not just what the purpose of the building is.
3: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. So, I mean, first and foremost, you get a planning permission for student accommodation, but increasingly developers are ensuring there's some sort of extra social value. So perhaps making some accommodation, some space, not student, but offices or what have you available for the local community.
0: Yeah. And I just wonder whether you can, you're in a situation where, you know, students want uh, leisure facilities, can you, Rachel, ha- have leisure facilities which are for the students but also for the community as well, or is that getting you a little bit sort of crazy? In
2: I mean, typically, if you've got a gym within your building, it's it's normally for the use of the students. Um, although I have seen schemes in London where they are let um, to uh, the public as well. So obviously, generating uh, more revenue for the the operator, but obviously adding value to the local community as well.
0: But is that, could that all be part of a way round? Not a way round, but you know, part of a sort of easing of the of the problems with planning if you're sort of suggesting that sort of thing in your in your building
1: yeah i think it's potentially an avenue to look at and i do i am aware of at least a couple of developers that i'm working with at the moment who are exploring options of other ways to deliver that kind of community good and it comes down to whether whether or not the local councils will accept that that is a good use or a good approximation for what they're trying to get for so i think the earlier you can start engaging with planners and local authorities to say this is what we're trying to do demonstrate the need you're trying to deliver on the more likely you are to potentially go down that route
0: yeah Uh, rachel earlier you talked about opex operational expenditure running costs of of building things obviously energy prices are 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 a big part of that can they pass that can can operators easily pass that on
2: it's a difficult question. I mean, the reality is it's an all-inclusive rent. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not necessarily been sort of passed on directly as, as utilities have increased in the past. Um, but it's certainly a question that's being asked now. Um, you know, OPEX is increasing and, and what does that do to an operator's margin? Um, I think we're, we're fortunate at the moment that obviously inflation is high and, and rents are being able to be increased. Um, but there is obviously a limit as to, you know, to the palatability of, of you know, where students will be able to afford so um it's you know we're in an environment at the moment where opex is increasing but rents are also increasing and it's offsetting that that squeeze
0: what we haven't talked about yet is 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 where the best places you know if you if you're wanting to be investing in this in, in this market you know, are there good places or less good places and, uh, and what have you said where Where are the the very best, I don't know who wants to answer this, where are the very best cities in the UK
3: to invest in purpose-built student accommodation right now? Uh, So we've tracked somewhere between 10 and 15 of the top cities. Um, We put together a development matrix every year, which uh, looks at... Why a location is 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 the best or how it should be ranked, which includes number of full time students, the growth, the international student growth, the quality of existing stock uh, and, and multiple other things as well. Um, so if you look at where has or where is ripe for further development, it's definitely going to be a case of where are exactly those cities that Rich commented on earlier, that there's been a huge, huge shortage um, and students are having to actually live elsewhere um, outside the city itself. So Bristol would be an obvious example of that. Durham would be another example. But also the likes of uh, Glasgow, Bath, uh, Brighton, which always uh, rank very highly, uh, mostly to do with the very challenging planning regime that they have.
0: And are there cities that you think investors should perhaps be avoiding or really is a you know is is the is this such a you know a, a such a good dynamic in the market for investors that it that really anywhere is is fine
3: i think it's generally going to work in most locations um subject to site selection exactly what you're delivering um that you know the big caveat is that you need to be pretty pretty forensic about how the the quality of your higher education institution um, and for some cities, development probably won't work, uh, but that doesn't mean that you can't still be buying an existing property and still have pretty good performance off the back of that. Yeah.
0: Let me suggest a couple of other sort of caveats, perhaps, which you could then you could say, no, I'm talking nonsense or something like that. So so first of all, I mean, there's a right now, in terms of foreign students and what have you, right now that we've got this huge thing going on with the, with the government, Saying they're going to ban, effectively, I'm being a bit simplistic, but ban families of foreign students coming over as well. Does that have an impact on this market?
1: It has an impact on the student body as a whole and is going to have an impact on the income that certain universities are likely to get in. But I think. As you mentioned, because they're bringing their families over, that's not going to be a big impact on the purpose-built student accommodation sector.
0: Because they're not going into
1: those... In- no, very very little of the current stock is tailored to meet those kinds of needs. And most of these students are living in the wider housing market. So it's going to take some of the pressure off maybe some of these over oversaturated local rental markets more than necessarily impacting the purpose-built sector.
0: Just on that, Richard, you know, you, can you explain a little bit more on why, why there's so much... Sort of non you know, normal rental stuff that's coming out of the market,
1: yeah, sure, so not only have we had the change in like um, mortgage regulation and other things that have come over the last five years, but we now have the looming introduction of Increased minimum EPC requirements for the private renter sector. So the moment you have to have an EPC-E to let out a property legally, that's going to be raised to an EPC-C. Sorry, what's an EPC? Energy Performance Certificate. So that okay, measures how cool. energy efficient your building is and how green it's going to be so that we can help move towards net zero. So you have to reach an EPC-C from 2025 as the current expectation for new lets and all lets from 2028.
0: And this is all the sort of property that the HMOs, houses in multiple occupations, which students in their sort of second and third years tend to be in. in yeah.
1: And an analysis we have done of the whole PRS, which includes those HMO stock, is about only about 40, only about 50 to 60%, depending on where you are, meet the new requirements. So that's about half of the stock could potentially fall out of the market.
2: Yeah, and I think it also is important to, to note that it applies to purpose-built student accommodation as well. Um, we've seen that uh, Unite are obviously taking this very seriously, and have increased their spending um, from three million to thirteen million on uh, in the last year on improving their EPC ratings. So I think eighty uh, percent of their portfolio now meet that that C standard.
0: So. Uh, on my caveats another caveat for you is i think Rachel you mentioned it earlier uh debt costs are, have have been rising are, are they going to carry on rising uh, are they going to start to fall where where is it going to go what do you think rich
1: oh uh, that's see that's a million dollar question if yeah. i knew the answer i probably wouldn't be sitting in here recording a podcast yes you would i'd be making even more you money <laughs> <laughs> but i think the challenge at the moment is the market is just very uncertain of the direction of travel for the Bank of England base rate. And the likelihood is that's now going to reach 5% by the end of this year and probably stay there for an extra, like for another year or so. So that is just going to increase the base level of debt costs in the UK. I think once we get a bit of certainty that we've probably reached the peak and we're going to come, start seeing it coming down, you'll see the overall margin costs come down a bit and make it a little bit easier. But we're going to have higher interest rates than we've had for the last 10 years for a little bit longer. And
0: is there any risk? james that we get into a situation where you know it's, it's great for for investors that uh, rents are going up by seven percent a year or something like that but is there a danger that we get to a point where you, the rents go so high that demand falls off and you and you get a bit of a crunch with rising costs and demand falling and having to keep rents a bit lower
3: Yeah, I think the the challenge of affordability is one that has been thrown at the sector for 20, 25 years. You know, what we have seen so far is that mostly wealthy um, international students are those that actually pay these rents um, and they generally have a higher tolerance for affordability. So we think that the rents can improve somewhat um, just around your point on interest rates. And looking at the investor market, we think this is probably the time where equity investors, all equity investors, can come back into the space, clearly buy at a slightly softer yield than they were doing at peak liquidity 12 months ago, um, and still generate some pretty exciting rental growth.
0: We can't go without doing our feature of Tell Me Something I Don't Know, Uh, a little nugget of information about this market or thought or an idea, which sort of shines an extra bit of light on it. I think... uh, we should start with you, Rich, because you're the research guy. So you've probably got more ammunition for Tell Me Something I Don't Know than the rest of us put together. Richard, tell, me, tell us something we don't know.
1: Um, 97,000 is my big number for you. And that's the increase in the number of Indian students studying in the UK over the last five years. Wow. You see, I love this. It's,
0: we should just do Tell Me Something I Don't Know. We shouldn't bother with the rest of it. <laughs> Rachel, tell me something I don't know.
2: Um, we're just picking up on, on James's point about liquidity. Um, we're finding it quite interesting at the moment. We're presenting or, or meeting with probably one or two new lenders every week uh, at the moment. So it's sort of exciting times for us to uh, to see people looking to get into lending in the sector.
0: Great stuff. And James, finally, tell
3: us something we don't know. Yeah, I mean, just to demonstrate the real maturity of the sector. Um, PBSA is a top three um, real estate sector pick um, for from 15 either investment or research houses that we've seen over the last 12 months.
0: Well, listen, thank you all for, for your time and your wisdom today. It's been great to see you all again. Or, oh, Rachel, in your case, great to see you for the first time. I hope we'll see you again in the studio. If all that's done is whet your appetite for more information about the PBSA sector, then the PB the UK PBSA Spotlight report is available on the research section of the Savills website. The usual address, savills.co.uk Forward slash research. That's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. Thank you very much for listening and see you next time.
2: This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.